yo yo what it is welcome to another edition of the album Nerds podcast i am as always andy <laughs> yeah that's about how it works <laughs> that, you could change your name i'm sticking with it i like it the it's artist kind of farmer farm. formerly known as andy no 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 keep it an andy that oh, of course okay. is my good friend and co-host duderino number dude <laughs> what's up buddy? it's better every time oh uh, you know the usual football fall music yeah allergies how about you <laughs> <laughs> same z's i would say yeah well today on the show we're talking about records that deal with loss i don't know if you guys have picked up on this lately but the way we're doing things on the show as of late we pick out a new release and an old dog that both relate to some theme Today on the show, we're talking about the new Mastodon record. Mm-hmm. Got to talk, talk about that on our show. I mean, that's... Yeah. That's yeah. Like, I mean, it's one of those things where when I found out that Mastodon was supposed to do an album in 21, it's like, okay, it's already... I already got it scheduled in. Like, I hadn't heard anything yeah. yet, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, talking about that, Hush and Grim came out in October of this year, and then mm-hmm. we we're pairing that with... Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here, two records that both deal with um, loss. Also, both bands changing sounds, too, over mm. time and mm-hmm. becoming more progressive. I listened to some of the old, old, early Pink Floyd albums with Sid Barrett on them. Very yeah, different. Totally different. Yeah. 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 And Mastodon is progressing as well. And of course, Mastodon dealing with the loss of their manager recently. Also, uh, they they considered him the fifth member of the band, basically. So, mm-hmm. All right, before we dive into these records, uh, maybe you've heard them before. I'd love to know your thoughts on them. You could uh, email us podcast at albumers.com. Leave us a voicemail, 585-210-2454. Love to know your opinions. Without any further ado, let's jump in. Okay, so you already know what's coming. Mastodon, Hushed, and Grim. Why don't we kick it off with a little bit from the track Tear Drinker. All right, so that was Tear Drinker from Mastodon's newest release, Hushed and Grim. This is what, their eighth album, man? Believe it or not, yeah. Wow. Okay, American Heavy Metal Band, Atlanta, Georgia, formed in 2000. Four members, three of them sing regularly Mm -hmm. on the tracks. It's Troy Sanders, Brent Hines, Bill Kelleher, and Brian Daler. And uh, they started off really, really, what would you say, is it sludge metal? Really yeah. sludgy? I would say sludge, yeah. And over over the course of their releases, all having themes or uh, some kind of story behind them, um, which really does say something about, regardless of the sound changing or broadening or having more elements in it, the fact that they've always taken the time to try to connect the dots 
mm-hmm. especially for album nerds like us, that's really important and really cool and part of the reason that we're loyally ready to schedule talking about an <laughs> album we haven't heard yet, you know? Yeah, totally. So, this one is long for them. Double record, but what, 86 minutes, I believe? Yeah, so almost an hour and a half. What'd you think of that? Didn't love it. Didn't love it, to be honest with you. I think that's one of my bigger complaints. It's too long? Too long, too uneven. Maybe it gets a little bit lost along the way. Too long. Wow. Now, is it more Is it more that there's too many songs or that the songs are too long? I think there's a couple songs I would cut, but there are definitely some songs that I think are about a minute or two too long and just kind of repeat what they started just one more time. Like, why don't just end it? It feels like they decided on this concept of a double album and then figured out, like, okay, we need to make all these songs a little bit longer to have it stretch out to be a double album. Well, wow. well, that's not what that's not what I learned. I saw an interview um, with Troy, mm-hmm. and he said that they is they had this whole year because of the pandemic and all that stuff. They had more time to build this thing, and they knew that the concept was going to be a tribute. You know, the story of of Nick John. And the, his passing and what it did to them. And I mean, he's like a, you know, a friend more than anything else, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was, that was the impetus. And then they, from what he said, they loved the songs so much and they enjoyed the time that they spent really crafting these. And by the time they never wanted to do a double album, that was never their intention. And as a band, they had talked about never doing one, but the material know. was there. And they decided to go for it with what they had rather than trying to trim stuff they didn't feel like they needed to or wanted to. So how did that how did that sit with you? Do you feel like these are the appropriate lengths and track listing for this record? Yeah, I actually do. The first couple listens I didn't. But then when I dug in, when I headphoned it and really listened and listened to how different they sound from each other, yet they all have you know similar same theme, you know, going through the stages of of uh grief well, yeah going through the stages of grief then it all kind of started to make sense and the variation in so many of the songs is part of what kept me interested but like i said especially when i was paying attention or paying with an anchor the opening track yeah that sounded kind of blood mountainy to me so i was very happy to mm-hmm. start the album that way but uh it really sets the tone like Oh, my dear, the damage is done here. I disappear. A love with no anchor in the depths of the sea. Yeah. That sounds like grief to me, man. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. Just getting pulled down by this weight kind of around your neck. Mm-hmm. I could totally write to that. Has that great opening drum roll as oh, seems yeah. to be mastered on tradition at this point. The drums in general on this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've listened to all their albums, but I think this is some of the best drumming I've ever heard on their really? records. Yeah. See, I was just thinking the other day, I was listening to it yesterday, like, man, I wish the drums were a lot more present in the mix. I feel like they got what? pushed back too much. Wow. Okay. So I, I think Brand is a fantastic drummer. I would love to hear him more. I think that's the strongest part of the band. I guess I'm you. looking more, I I looked at it from a perspective of it, it truly drove the rhythm for every song. It set the tone for every song. So mix wise, I don't know. I don't really... You and I have talked about that before, and I don't necessarily hear when stuff isn't higher enough in the mix unless it's just so 
egregious. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I as I was really going through it the other day, that's I kept being like, man, every on my notes, the drums on this are great. The drums started off so well, you know. That's sort of so that's funny. What are some other like highlights? Obviously, Tear Drinker, since we featured that one. Yeah, that was the single, right? That was the first thing that came out, I believe, for the record. Pretty sure. I remember hearing that a while back. It's got like a great groove. I think that's for me like the greatest thing they've done in the last ten years is add that groove to their sound that they can really just get comfortable in, and they do that on Tear Drinker. I think that's awesome and one of my favorite tracks on the record. Strangely enough, it's so accessible and catchy for Mastodon, but I really think it works pretty well. That part of the record in particular, Tear Drinker and Pushing Tides, I think are, is the high point for me. I think those like 10 minutes or so are really good. Yeah, Pushing the Tides is awesome because it kicks off with this punishing guitar and drums and sort of chaotic yeah. rhythmic vocal delivery. Mm-hmm. But then like the the screamy stuff isn't quite there like the early albums it's sort of this uh restrained there's more restraint in the vocals yeah troy he's not relying nearly as much on his like growl or howl as he used to it's more he's a better singer now yeah i agree he really is and same with bran they both sound good Mm -hmm. i'm kind of sad we don't get more of brent singing to be honest with you uh yeah i really liked him on some of the earlier records he's kind of ozzy type voice uh yeah, what what else did you find as like high points for you? I'm gonna have to say Savage Lands. Yeah, I like that one too. Uh it's so Mastodon to me. It's so Mastodon. It's like very Blood Mountain. Yeah. Feel fast, to it. quick beat, quick vocals. It has that one of the things I a thing I love in metal or hard rock is that Iron Maiden gallop and it had that galloping mm-hmm. yep. that galloping feel to it and uh that always just gets me going. So um. that was the one track that like didn't really feel like it fit in lyrically. Like it felt more like kind of old school, supernatural, epic mastodon that right. that I loved. Didn't really seem like it was tied down by the the loss as much as the rest of the record. So that was kind of nice, I guess. A little break when you're an hour into the record already. What about the closing? few songs so savage lands is track 12 and then we have 13 14 and 15 left gobblers of dregs <laughs> i love the name good yeah, musicianship and great drumming but it didn't it that's one that didn't land quite as much for me yep i agree didn't love that didn't really care for eyes of the serpents that much either in the next song i like that well i like that mellotron type sound at the beginning and then the wrong 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 sort of Especially with headphones on, you could feel hear that a little better. Mm-hmm. That guitar, like rum rum rum, sort of sound. That um, yeah, it sounds sad. I could feel the pain in those songs. I just didn't really gripped by it. The last track, though, I really did enjoy. Gigantium. Yeah, I practice saying that. <laughs> Gigantium. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good name. <laughs> yeah, the drum fill it starts off with anthemic guitar. It kind of, yeah, it feels like all the songs of the album kind of in one. Come together, yeah, mm-hmm. which works really well. It's kind of like a big a big tidal wave is kind of how I picture that record coming in, or that song coming in. It has that great line, I think the closing line of the record, the mountains we made in the distance, those will stay with us. Mm. I think that's directly, yeah. directly to the neck. Yeah, all we accomplished together. Yeah, that'll be our yeah. testament time. That's yeah. some of what I saw in the interviews is like, Going through the grief, 
but at the same time, you're they're still alive and standing, and they have this beautiful thing that they built together with with Nick. Yeah, and uh, they they need to enjoy it, even though it brings them some sadness. And you can hear that throughout the record. Uh, Kim Thale made a guitar appearance on "Had It All" from, uh, from, from Soundgarden. Soundgarden, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, that was yeah, that's interesting. I would have expected. Some of these songs have Soundgarden-y undercurrents and Alice in Chains vocal type stuff, so I kind of was getting that grungy feeling here and there. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole like Seattle rainy, gloomy sadness <laughs> kind of you know that kind of sound works nicely when when you're talking about grief. Yeah, but that I'd... that song was a little more ballady, and there are a couple ballads on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was probably the slowest i've ever heard mastodon play on that on head at all there honestly i didn't really i didn't really care for that track a lot uh i felt like yeah it was a little proggier than i need but i i can't say i dislike any of the songs on here i just like a couple less (laughs) yeah well there's so many it's bound to be some levels yeah. to them. Yeah, when you got 15 tracks, I mean, they can't all hit with everybody that's listening. Let's talk about one more song. Okay. Back to the beginning of the record. Sickle and Peace, track three. Yes. It has these big, chunky guitars. Seems to be about kind of like, you know, once you die, there's, you can have peace and kind of that, that calm that comes along with that. Yeah. So, it starts off with this intro with children's voices. And I thought when the first time I heard the album, I'm like, oh, no, here we go. You know, this is going to be some <laughs> overblown. Right. Overproduced, mm-hmm. cringy concept thing. Yeah. And it's it starts, it stops, and then it kicks into this groove, this slow-burning groove. And then uh, I really like that song, dealing about, you know, with death and loss and the logic and then bringing myth into it, the Grim Reaper. Mm-hmm. Brings peace to the to the dead, but pain to the living, basically, right. you know? Right. Yeah, I like that sentiment. I thought the lyrics were actually pretty good on that track. I just felt like it was about two minutes too long. Like, the last minute and a half just basically repeats what they did in the previous minute and a half. That's just more Mastodon to enjoy. I already heard it once. Like, you can just move on. I can hit repeat if I want to hear it again. But I feel like that's because it's consistent with this record. Like, every, every song has an extra minute or two on it. What has For happened? Some reason. You're the one that that got <laughs> me into Mastodon, and now as time has gone on, maybe it's just because of the change of sound. I mean, I love those those early ones, um, but I tend to be the more into their last two at least than you. Yeah. If it were shorter, it'd be fine. But I, I like it the way it is. I think it's a great album. I think if you put your ears to it and the time to it, you can enjoy it even more. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, we're featuring it here. I recommend listening and enjoying and potentially buying Mastodon's Hush and Grim 86 minutes of sadness. <laughs> but in a, Mastodon, in a Mastodonian package yeah. that you'll love. Yeah. They do it. They do it well. I don't mean to hate on them. I, they're my favorite bands of the 2000s, so I, I have a lot of love for them. Well, it's not showing. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't feel this strongly on this record. 
Well, um, no, but that, that's that's why uh, that's part of why I like these discussions. Is you can still love a band and and like an album. They don't all they're not all home runs. You know, they can't yeah. be. They, they can't always meet your expectations, especially when they're one of your favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they're all good. I mean, it, yeah, you know, it, it's it's like. Uh, What's the best tasting piece of candy? You know what I mean? It's all candy. It's all good. <laughs> nah, that's true. That's you true. Know? So uh, that's awesome. what I want to say for the, the listeners out there. We're not yeah. talking like candy to cow dung here. We're talking <laughs> candy to other type of candy. <laughs> that's true. I would say these records are like head and shoulders above most metal records. Any other discography is above okay. most of what we talk about. Well, with so. that being said, then go listen <laughs> to Hush and Grimm, go enjoy it, and go enjoy all of their albums from Remission to now, 2002 to 2021. Eight really great albums that you'll find stuff to love in all of them. And that's it. No more talking, Andy. <laughs> Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. All right. I'd like to do in the middle of the show here. We got a topical question. Today, we're talking about Physical media versus streaming. Do you stream your albums or do you prefer physical media or some combination? Hmm. Good question. Hmm. What do you think? Well, I prefer physical media because that's the way I grew up, right? You get a, a vinyl record, you look at the liner notes, you read along with the lyrics, you read about the producer and mm-hmm. their thank yous. I used to love the thank yous. I like thank my mom and thank, yeah. or they thank other bands. Other bands. Kind of, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. But streaming has has changed that to a certain extent. I mean, do I still enjoy the sit down and read through? Of course. Do I prefer to get the the Pink Floyd album out, clean it, and spin it, and flip it, and then hear it crackling, and then have to go and flip it again? Yes, I do. <laughs> but do I get lazy? Yes, I do. <laughs> do I? <laughs> so sometimes I'll stream something when I know I'm going to listen to it a bunch of times in a row, like for the show or whatever. Or if I yeah. want to listen to a discography, that's where streaming comes in. What if I'm missing one? Or if I haven't found it yet? What if it's too expensive? Mm-hmm. Cost is a, is a problem in collecting now. Sure. Um, like I want to get this new Mastodon album. It's probably going to be like 30 bucks. Yeah. Paying for my streaming service, I can listen to it as many times as I want. Does it sound quite as good? Maybe not. Do I get the cool artwork and stuff? No, I don't. But... It makes it so sometimes it helps me decide what to buy, and other times it slows me down and I wait for Christmas or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how about you? I used to be a little bit more evenly split, but the last couple of years I've pretty much all in on streaming. I agree, it's not as nice of an experience. I really do miss the album liner notes and the artwork side of the listening to a record. I wish, I wish Spotify would, or someone would introduce that back into the mix. Like, I feel like there's a Mm -hmm. huge opportunity for that. Yeah, especially on iPads and stuff. I mean, I don't know about your setup, but I'm still using an old Chromecast audio. So I have a tablet set up on my record shelves and that I use exclusively to use, to play music, Mm -hmm. to stream it and then send it to my old style stereo system. Yeah, that's cool. So I'm still at least getting that. I'm not listening on some little Bluetooth speaker or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I still get that experience, but yeah, it would be great on an iPad if you just got to flip through the liner notes. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, some some very few records, but some of the more popular ones on Spotify will have like the little pop up notes, you know, like oh, did you know that this song was written while this was going on, or this lyric means that, which is just cool. But I wish it was way more widespread, or users could upload information, or bands could do that. Like I feel like there's so much opportunity to make it more immersive. But yeah, I got rid of all my CDs a couple of years ago, and I have a few albums. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I ripped everything, but I don't very rarely go back and listen to any of that stuff. <sighs> so, I'm a digital guy. All right, album nerds, tell us your story. Which do you prefer? How do you do it? How do you mix it up together? And, you know, why? You can answer that question at album nerds on Twitter. Old dogs. All right, for our old dog selection, we're talking about. Classic Pink Roy rec- Pink Floyd record from 1975. Uh, Pink the Roy. Been okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Then> there. <laughs> Let's get a it. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to just get past it. All right. <laughs> oh, this is staying, brother. You can't say Pink Roy and <laughs> expect me to cut it from the show. This is probably the highlight. <laughs> Talking about the classic 1975 Pink Floyd record, Wish You Were Here. Uh, it's the ninth studio album from the London, UK four piece that follows up to the breakthrough hit, Dark Side of the Moon. We are going to play the title cut. Here's a little bit of Wish You Were Here. Wish You Were Here from the album of the same name, Pink Floyd. Um, this record was written, I believe, entirely by Roger Waters. Um, the themes deal with the, I don't want to say the loss of Sid Barrett, but maybe more of a tribute to Sid Barrett, who yeah. was the one of the founding members of the band, um, the original guitarist. Um, he left very early on because of some mental issues and kind of like some substance abuse problems he had. Um, so that is the focus of, I would say, about 70% of the record. The mm-hmm. other 30% kind of deals with the music business and kind of critiquing, um, not even critiquing, but just a blatant middle finger to sort of the greed of the, the music business and kind of the fakeness of it all and what people are willing to say to you to, to get you to like them and you know make them a lot of money. Yeah, I think it, the timing for that is perfect too after dark side of the moon mm-hmm. yeah they were blowing up yeah that's when they became like royalty uh, in, in the rock and roll world and landscape well before they had some successes and they toured and they made records mm-hmm. and and uh went from being kind of hmm, psychedelic 60s blah 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 to something unique Mm-hmm. And that's when people started kissing their asses, you know. And, <laughs> yeah, of course. And they can they, make a lot of money yeah. for people. 
And so I, I think it's interesting then also to look back on Sid Barrett's time and wish you were here partially just because, you know, wish you were still a part of this and healthy, but also kind of a, we made it, we could use you, you know? I know, right. Yeah. Like what you kind of helped lay the foundation for mm-hmm. has now kind of grown into something and wish you could experience it with us kind of is the vibe I get from that song. Um, what's your history with this record, man? I, I know you've heard this before. I know we probably even have talked about it in our conversations. Um, but what's your experience been with it? It's amongst my favorites of theirs. Like, for, for instance, The Wall. Yeah. Eh. <laughs> you know? You don't love The Wall, huh? <laughs> well, it, uh, if you look at their albums, it's kind of like what we were talking about with Mastodon. The candy. Okay. It's still candy, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, yeah. It's still great, but not A-tier for you. Yeah. So. It, well, it's just that one has some great songs, but sometimes it's a little over, it's a little heavy on my shoulders, you know? And -hmm. this one is so, especially after Dark Side of the Moon, which kind of establishes this, this sort of the, the Pink Floyd vibe. This feels so human and honest and a little less removed. And I think that's what I like about it so much. And it has, it has, uh, acoustic flourishes and a little bit more of a, of a, sitting around jamming sort of feel to it. It's a little less formal. Yeah. Yeah, it feels a little bit... I mean, Dark Side is so heavily produced, which I think is a lot of the appeal of the record. Yeah, it's it's perfect. It's, yeah. And this is flawed, but so is Sid, you know? <laughs> yeah, right? totally. Yeah, this feels more organic and intimate, I think, for sure. It opens up with, I think... One of the strongest songs, if not the strongest song, Shot on Your Crazy Diamond, parts one through five, and then closes with parts six through nine, which is basically a, a direct letter to, to Sid talking about kind of his mental state. Um, even the title kind of relates to his name, you know, S-Y-D. If you take out the C and crazy kind of spells out Sid. I mean, there's a great saxophone solo on it by this. Dick Perry, who actually played saxophone on Dark Side of the Moon, which I'd never realized the connection, but once you hear that, it sounds, it's the exact same mm. sax sound as he had on Dark Side, which is kind of cool. Saxy. It is sexy, isn't it? There's a little tidbit I picked up on that I didn't realize I thought was interesting was Shine On in particular was written alongside Dogs and Sheep from their Animals record, mm. which would come out a, couple, a year or two later, I believe. Um, so it's from that same session of writing and creativity, which I think it, it does fit in nicely with those two when you kind of think about them together, even though they're not on the same uh, album release. I've always been a big fan of Have a Cigar. Yeah, I think Have a Cigar and Welcome Machine are both dealing with those record industry. And mm-hmm. yeah, they're pretty on the nose, I would say, especially that I love that party scene at and right at the beginning of Have a Cigar and of Welcome to the Machine where you can kind of hear all these people, I assume record execs, like, mm-hmm. you know, schmoozing each yeah. other and talking each other up. And Well, yeah, like, you know, they got here, have a cigar, let's celebrate your success, boys. Now, which one of you is pink? It's like right. know, that usual sort of idea that they don't know shit about the music or care. <laughs> they just care about, you know, here, have things, keep making us money. Exactly. Stay happy. <laughs> keep making us rich. Yeah, um, so the album cover actually, I always, I always love this album cover. That's a, it's a cool cover, man. Actually, that's 
actually shot. It's not any sort of like CG or anything going on in the background there. It's two stuntmen in a uh, parking lot in one of the studios, the big recording studios. Yeah, I guess the idea behind it is kind of like getting burned in a business deal mm-hmm. is, is what I interpret from that. Like one guy's on fire, guy's still getting burned. <laughs> but it also, that's what kind of fits in with Sid Barrett a little bit too, though. Like almost like he's of another world. Burn, or, yeah, burned too brightly. Yeah, exactly. Well, shine t- too brightly at that crazy, crazy diamond. On the back, there's like a faceless dude in a suit and a bowler hat. Yes, holding the record right. and his foot is on his briefcase, but there's travel stickers on it. So it all kind of, yeah, they're definitely, uh, this is when album covers just basically either was a picture of the band or it had on, uh, often had something to do with the themes of the record. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I would say we haven't talked about this before, but I would say Pink Floyd as a whole has some of the best album artwork. So do Mastodon. Most bands. Yes, that is Mastodon. That's true. There's another true. thing. Yeah. Yeah, another commonality. Oh, yeah, we didn't even mention this yet on the show, I don't think. And how we seem to keep pairing Mastodon and Pink Floyd together for yeah. some reason. Yeah, oh, well, it happened once on episode 72 when we were doing uh, connections of albums that were based on literary works. Right. So it didn't have to do with the music. I don't know how that how it happened that they we connected them again. It was unintentional, but obviously they're both doing something right, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, obviously we're big fans of both. Let's play a snippet of the second bit of Shine on New Crazy Diamond. I think this is some of, at least my favorite of Gilmore's playing on this record. They really let him kind of stand on his own and has some great solos on here. Yeah, um, I agree. Musicianship-wise, I think one of the reasons I love this, it feels like more of the band and less of the extra stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really stripped down, which is crazy to think about for a Pink Floyd record. Yeah, it's still got plenty of... of of cool sounds and instrumental yeah. additions and things too, but it's tempered and it's really nice. Mm-hmm. Great song too. I mean, the whole thing leads you through this really great sonic journey and that part kind of, I think it does sum up the song, the full track. Yeah. It's a, I like the way they kind of bookended the record with, with these two parts of the song. Originally, I think they wanted to play it all together and I think it was Gilmore's idea to split them up. Yeah, I love the uh, closing sense on this, on that song in particular. I was surprised listening to the Mastodon record. There's actually a few moments of synth on that record. Yeah, there are. Yeah. Sound very, very Pink Floyd, at least to me when I'm nice. listening to two a lot together. I was like, what? Did you pick up on that at all? Yeah. When I was listening to the Mastodon record, I did pick up what I felt were hints of Pink Floyd and there were little synthy bits but they did know that what I liked about what Mastodon did was they'd be like boop boop bye 
you know? Yes. <laughs> Which, a little, little yeah, flourish. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Pink Floyd leaves on it much more heavily. It's a big part of their sound. Um, yeah, I wish you were here. Wow. Really awesome record. Probably, that's not my favorite of theirs, but it's definitely in the top three. Yeah. My dad gave me a cassette tape when I was growing up with Wish You Were Here on the B side, Dark Side on the A side. Ah. Listened the shit out of that. Still have it, actually. Nice. Uh, it was something a friend of made for him, kind of like, cause he didn't have the records, but he wanted to hear him. So he gave him this cassette tape, passed it on to me. Still have it. Love that. Yeah. Anything else? Oh, great pick. Both great albums. Uh, you should listen to both of them. You should listen to all of the albums by both of these bands. <laughs> yeah, I can't go wrong with either of these two. Uh, yeah, but tell us what you think of these records. Love to know. You can us an email, podcast at Give us a voicemail, 585-210-2454. Subscribe to and download the show in all the usual places. If you'd like to do us a favor, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those are... Uh, that's the big time right there. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Album Nerds. And uh, if you'd like to support the show, we're an independent podcast. PayPal donation, albumnerds.com slash support. Word up. We'll be back again next week. Yes, sir. With uh, two more album recommendations for you. Good ones, Thanks too. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Uh, see ya. Later. <laughs> <laughs>